and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Michael Appleton to my Michael Tangerineton. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, how are you? You're in Munich. No, I'm not in Munich. I'm in Gran Canaria, you fool. Oh, sorry. You, were you in Munich <laughs> the other day? I was in Munich a few weeks ago, yeah. So, oh, yeah, they're, okay. They're very, they're very easy to mix up. One's a really small island just off the coast of Africa and... Uh, One's in the middle of Bavaria in Central Europe. Yeah, yeah easy mistake for anyone to make. Yeah. How is Gran Canaria? It's um, it's a lot like the UK actually, just not as unbearably weather-wise. It's quite windy but sunny, so we'll mm. take that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I'm not I allowed to talk about the weather. What's going on? Oh, so well, I know you're not usually allowed to talk about the weather, but I was in Switzerland last week and it was nearly thirty. But Horrible. when you're abroad. The heat is much more bearable than it is when you're in the UK because the UK mm-hmm. heat it just sits, doesn't it's it? And it's like you're it's like you're in a greenhouse twenty four seven. It's the apocalypse. Yeah, it, it pretty much is. I don't really understand the logistics behind it, but UK heat is so much worse than foreign heat, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. It's like we had we had the heat wave, mini heat wave on Friday, um, just gone, and it was like sitting inside an oven that has been on for three hours and there's no way of cooling down absolutely no way your fan doesn't work so it just blows warm air at you mm. best bet is living in a paddling pool and that's not good for you are you the kind of person who religiously sleeps under the cover when it's ridiculously hot or will you poke out a cheeky leg <laughs> I'll poke out a cheek your leg yeah yeah, p- poke it all out, why not? <laughs> well, welcome to the number one championship specific podcast, the second tier, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. Uh, there's been plenty of news for us to talk about from the past few days, whether it's manager situations at loads of championship clubs, takeovers at other clubs, and uh, of course transfers as well, because we are now in the transfer window and clubs have been getting busy. Uh, but we'll start off, ladies and gentlemen, by talking about the manager situations, because we've had four new managers for clubs who were either in the Championship last season or are coming into the Championship this mm-hmm. season. We'll start off with Burnley, shall we, Justin? We'll talk about Vincent Company, who's their new manager. The Man City legend was most recently in charge of Anderlecht. Uh, it's one that we have known was going to happen for quite some time, but I think was delayed because of work permit issues. Mm-hmm. I think that was the reason why it took so long to actually get over the line. But what are you thinking with this one, Justin? It's an interesting one because obviously company is coming off the back of a so-so spell with Anderlecht. Um, I think if you were to listen to their supporters, they were quite sad to see him go from some of the things that I've seen on, on Twitter and, and, and things that have been written up. Um, but the board were happy for him to um, depart to, to Burnley because they feel that he didn't really meet expectations. Um, so it's, it's a bit of a mixed bag, but I think from a Burnley perspective, it's a risk. But it's a risk they have to take because of the years of being very safe and secure and happy and content with Sean Dyche. Playing 4-4-2, nothing wrong with it, but it was very, it was just very ordinary, normal. Um, and obviously it's, that's resulted in a relegation and in a, they're in, now in a position where they've almost got to do a complete squad overhaul. So bringing in someone like Vincent Company is a risk, but it's, it's a, a time where it's needed, I think. Yeah, I'm not sure what to make of company 
myself, I would be undoubtedly more confident of Burnley going straight back up next season if they still had Sean Dyche in charge, but that's not the reality we live in. We live in a reality where Vincent Company <laughs> is now the manager of Burnley Football Club. And considering his spell at Anderlecht was so meh, he didn't really pull up any trees at all, did he? Um, admittedly, I never really saw Anderlecht play last season, um, nor do I know as much about the Belgium League as I do <laughs> know about any of the English leagues. But it, it did seem like he didn't really meet expectations there and what the expectations are with him at Burnley, I'm not really too sure. But we all know he's got great pedigree, don't we? He's one of the best leaders the Premier League has ever seen. And... He has also worked with some of the best managers in the world right now. That doesn't always translate into being a good manager, however. So mm -hmm. it's it's really difficult to call how it's going to go and also whether it's a good appointment, isn't it? Yeah, I completely agree. Um, and obviously, because this is his first spell in England, yeah, the Belgian leagues, they're, they're competitive, but there are, there are some big clubs in, in Belgium. You know, you, there's, there's Genk. There's Club Bruges. Um, I can't remember the team that recently finished top of the league, um, but the, the it wasn't. Ones. Yeah, but it, it was one of the. It wasn't one of the top clubs, which just I think just goes to show how competitive it's become. Um, so he's 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 managed to deliver European football in amongst that, which is fine. Um, it could have done. They could have been better, but it could have been a lot worse as well. Um, and as as we were saying with with taking risks, they need to Burnley need to do that. Vincent Company has a track record of bringing through youngsters at Andelect, which is a huge positive. And he can bring in some some decent names on loan because of who he is. But as you say, he's worked under some some good coaches, but that doesn't always translate into a good manager. You've only got to look at Frank Lampard. I know he's at Everton, but his record's very sketchy. And that's my Frank Lampard dig of the day. Yeah, um, just impeach will never miss the opportunity to have, <laughs> give a little dig to Frank Lampard. Absolutely. Um, but you just hope company can bring um, some of what he's, as I can say, grafted and learned over the years under Guardiola, Mancini, even Pellegrini, um, and, and, and translate into that into his own career. But I think he's got a nice, clean slate to go at with Burnley because of what they need to do at the club. I don't know if that's a, a positive or a negative, but he can build from the ground up, which I see as a positive. You'd have thought as well, he would have some sort of links with Man City and they'd be able to trade players here and there as well, which I think mm -hmm. will be a huge benefit for them. Um, and also, it's not exactly far, is it? Burnley to Manchester either. <laughs> so that would make sense in terms of almost not being a feeder club, but you see what I mean, getting plenty of talented yeah. youngsters in from Man City. Um, I suppose the only question would be, would it have made more sense for them to go for someone who... Is more tried and tested at this level, Justin. You can argue that. Um, I think I think it's always worth an argument. But like I was saying, Burnley had a tried and tested manager of Sean Dyche, and it worked for a long time, and then it stopped working. Um, so now they're in a position where they need to start afresh with somebody new who um, will give the club a new lease of life. Because as I say, doing the same thing for years and years and years. And it being success, what is success to Burnley? Do they want to take the club to the next level? Do the owners want to take the club to the next level? How do they get there? Do they have to get there via the Sean Dyche way? Or can they do it slightly differently? And it looks like they're doing it slightly differently with Vincent Kupney. I don't see an issue with that. Um, if it doesn't go well, then they will probably find a manager that is a safe pair of hands. But who's a safe pair of hands now in the championship? It's, it's up in the air, I think.
Yeah, I'm sure there's a man in Scarborough somewhere who would <laughs> fancy, who would be sat by the phone ready and waiting if needs be. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm interested to see how company does. I think the expectation without a doubt is going to be to get them back to the Premier League at the first time of asking whether that happens or not. It's going to be interesting to see because there's been a lot of turnover, hasn't there, in that Burnley squad. Let's go just down the M65, Justin. John Doll Thomason is the new manager of Blackburn. He most recently guided Malmo to consecutive league titles. Uh, a bit out of the blue, this one, isn't it? <laughs> it is a little bit, yeah. Um... I think if you look at Greg Broughton's contacts, the new director of football at Blackburn or sporting director, um, it's not quite surprising because he's done a lot of his work in Scandinavia, um, which is which is quite interesting. I know they were linked with Knutsen, who's the who was the coach at um, oh, I'm going to butcher the name Bojo Glint in yep. Norway, Close enough. Um, and they play some of the some of the best football I've seen from a a, a lower tier team or a lower t- a team from a um, a league with a lower reputation, um, and uh, I expect them to go for them. But John Dar Thomason has a has a good coaching pedigree. Um, obviously, he's been, or was with Mal- Malmo for two years, won back to back titles. I think I read an article saying that he turned down jobs um, from teams playing European football to go to Blackburn, which I think just goes to show the pull of Rovers and the Championship as well. Um, so yeah, it certainly is a, a left field appointment, but I think again Blackburn were in a position where they needed to make that appointment. He comes with a good reputation and a good knowledge of European leagues, which will be ideal for recruitment. I know Brexit adds headaches to 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 that, um, but I know there will be, there'll be certain countries that have lower point systems. I know there'll be a podcast that we can do on how how to get around Brexit when recruiting players, um, but. Certainly the list of contacts is going to be useful. And from my understanding, his style of football is very possession-based as well, which should mark a different turn for, for Blackburn. Yeah, he did do really well in Sweden, didn't he? And you know, he's had somewhat of a short managerial career. I think he had an early spell of managing clubs and then took a big break, then came back and managed Malmo and did really well, because obviously getting back-to-back titles in the Swedish league. Um People may turn their nose up, noses up at it, but it's still a difficult thing f- uh, for people to do because Malmo aren't the giants that they once were over mm. in Sweden. Um, but you're absolutely right. He even admitted that he nearly went to a club playing in Europe next season. So he is highly thought of elsewhere on the continent. And I think right now it's just another appointment that's quite hard to nail down purely because I've never seen a John Dahl, Thomason yeah. team play football. Um but it's a gamble, isn't it? And I think Blackburn needed something different with this appointment. They needed to take a risk to break through the glass ceiling that they're currently at. Because, as I was saying, when Mowbray was in charge, I think Mowbray gets you to a certain point, And he did a fantastic job of taking them from League One to the edge yep. of the playoffs. But do I foresee Tony Mowbray getting Blackburn actually into the playoffs and eventually into the Premier League? I struggle to see it happening. So... They had to take a. They had to have a roll of the dice, and Dahl Thomason is that roll of the dice, isn't he? How mm-hmm. will it work out? Who knows? He does play an aggressive, offensive style of play, according to um, the sporting director at Blackburn. So we'll have to wait and see. I suppose the other, the only thing to say is, would it have been, you know, sensible for them to go for another tried and tested manager, Justin? Because this is, you know, another risk, isn't it? Yeah, but. 
Tony Mowbray is tried and tested. And like you were saying, he, he gets you so far, but how do you break through that glass ceiling? Do you appoint someone who is of the Tony Mowbray mould to try and get more out of the individuals that you've got? Or do you try and take the club in a different direction? Um, and with the appointment of Greg Broughton, um, that that different direction is, is, is well underway. And I think it's a very good platform for... Um, for Thompson to build upon. Um, Mowbray's left the squad in, in a good position. I know they lost Lenahan, Niambe, probably will lose Niambe and um, Joe Rothwell, but the club is uh, the, the squad is still quite healthy um, and it needs just a little bit sprinkling here and there um, and I, f- I feel that they can they can push on into the playoffs. Um, whether that's under Thompson or not, I don't know, but one thing that needs to be done is these managers all the ones that we're going to be talking about, they need to be backed in some way. I'm not saying throw millions at it, but they need to be able to bring in players to play their system. Because if we look back over the years, Philip Cocker at Derby, for example, didn't get the tools he needed to build his possession-style system, was sacked 18, after 18 months. Um, same with Marcus Shop last season. Really poor recruitment, wasn't backed, didn't, didn't work out the way it should have done. So that's the only thing that needs to happen is these managers need to be need to be supported by by the teams upstairs. And you'd have thought he would be given time as well because Mowbray was given plenty of time, wasn't he? He was mm-hmm. the longest serving manager in the championship uh, prior to leaving the club. So you'd have thought Blackburn will give Thomason time to mould the team into his image. And if Blackburn do that, then it could very well work out and it could lead to them being in the Premier League. Ultimately, it may not. Only time will tell, won't it? And the final managerial appointment in Lancashire is over in Blackpool. Justin Michael Apperton is back at Bloomfield Road. He's been appointed head coach after Neil Critchley went to Aston Villa. He was previously in charge for just 11 games in 2012, although it is worth saying Blackpool were a very different club back then. Mm. Um, it seemed for a long time like Derby assistant Liam Rosinia was going to get the job, but there were reportedly disagreements over things like the budgets and the training ground. But... Appleton, Justin, it's an appointment that's certainly led to a very mixed reaction from Blackpool fans. But what do you think? Yeah, I've seen a lot of Blackpool fans vent their frustration. And that's absolutely fair that everybody's entitled to their opinion. Um, but I think the, the important thing you need to recognise with Michael Appleton is, he. I know we're talking about safe pair of hands with Vincent Company and who's a safe pair of hands in the Championship? I feel that Michael Appleton is a very safe pair of hands for a club the size of Blackpool with the budget that they have. Um, he worked at Lincoln. I know Lincoln's budget is fairly sizable for, for League One, but they, they were quite stable. They were quite secure and never really in danger of being relegated. Um, and Michael Appleton steered the club in that direction um, before obviously they, they, they decided to go in a different direction um, upon the end of his contract there. But with, with Appleton... You know he's he's done good jobs wherever he's been. I know his short spells at Blackburn and Blackpool will say different, but I can't really recall Michael Appleton leaving a club in a worse place than when he was appointed. I know Lincoln, there is argument for that, but for me, I think Appleton's a very safe pair of hands to take over from Critchley because they could have gone in a different direction. They could have gone for a Rossini where it's possession-based football, and they may may well have done that if he didn't turn the job down. But Appleton is, you know will more, more likely be a disciplined and structured kind of coach. And that's probably what Blackpool need next season to to stay in the league once again. Yeah, I think it's an interesting appointment, to say the very least. I can understand the scepticism from Blackpool fans because he's got links to Preston, hasn't he? Because he used to play there. And I think his son is also a fan, I read earlier this week. <laughs> so that's not a good start. And he also didn't have a great time when he was last there. But... 
Blackpool are a very different club to when he was in charge and also he's a very different coach to when he was last there. So I'm very on the fence about it because I can see plenty of positives but also negatives on both sides because he has always been a highly rated coach, hasn't he? And one that many within the game have tipped to be a good manager one day but it's not really happened yet Having said that, I think Blackpool are on a really level footing right now and this gives him the platform to really show how good a coach he is. And if mm-hmm. it doesn't work here, then maybe he's not you know, cut out to be the manager yeah. that many people are expecting him to be. Um, but it is undeniably giving... It is un- undeniably a bit strange giving the job to a guy who's just left a club who are 17th in League One, um, especially after they were in the playoffs the season before. So... It is strange when you put it like that, but I've got a lot of faith in the owners at Blackpool to get it spot on, because they got it spot on with Critchley. And sure, it seems like Appleton wasn't their first choice, because it seems like Rosinio was the man who they were quite keen to get. But I think let's give him a shot and just see how he does. I don't think the expectations this season will be particularly high. I think many Blackpool fans will just take having a similar season to what they've just had. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Just wait and see what happens, Justin. Yeah, and I think this is sound really basic at the moment, but I think there are definitely three worse teams at the moment than Blackpool in terms of squad shape. Um, quite and, a few. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so I think that is something that you've got to take into consideration. As you say, for me, as long as Blackpool stay up once again and gives the manager, whether that be Appleton or somebody else, the opportunity to build, I think that's a really important step to make. But I, I think you've got to give... Got to give coaches time to, to bed in. And, and as you said, Mark Appleton's a very talented coach. And quite funnily, he's one that's taken the same pathway as Critchley because he was at Oxford. And then he took the assistant manager job at West Brom, if I'm right, and then went back into full-time management. So it's quite an interesting parallel. Um, but yeah, for me, I think um, he's a highly rated coach and he deserves a chance in the in the championship because he's not really had that properly, um, especially at not a stable club. So certainly, yeah, I think give him the opportunity, see what he does. And obviously, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. But got to give him a chance. One more managerial change for us to have a quick chimag about Justin Barnsley have appointed Michael Duff as their new boss following their relegation to League One. Um, obviously, not in the Championship anymore, but we've just been talking about them for the past 12 months. So we might as well have a quick chat about what you think about that. What do you think about that? Oh, it's not second tier. Oh, it's not second tier. <laughs> See, strangely, I don't think people will be as arsed about us talking about Barnsley yeah. because it's not Derby. Um, <laughs> but anyway, what do you think about that? I, I think it's a really good appointment. Um, I like Michael Duff a lot as a coach. He's a, he's a good young coach, good young up-and-coming coach, and he's worked absolute wonders at Cheltenham under the budget that they've got to be a team that is secure in League One is absolutely unreal. Um, and it's it does fit in with their sort of direct pressing aggressive style of play that the board seem to want to replicate with almost every manager he is very direct isn't he Michael Dove yeah but it's it's not a bad thing it's not a bad thing and he's really honest I've seen some of his interview quotes so far and he's he's told some of the players or he's told the players that you're not going to get big moves to the championship you were shit last season you know you don't expect to get big moves or or to leave Barnsley for something better Um, you're here because you're here 
and he's been really honest and that's really refreshing and I know some of the journalists have been massive fans of what he's been saying and that's what Barnsley need that's what probably what the, the the hierarchy needs and that's what the supporters need they need to know that they've got a manager who's willing to fight tooth and nail to get that club back into where where it should be or where it has been in the past yeah I completely agree I think it's a really good appointment and one that I was actually quite impressed by considering the last couple of appointments have been yeah. pretty shit. Um, but it is interesting that they've changed tact and diverted away from the approach of appointing managers from Europe. It seems like they finally accepted that that wasn't working anymore and they needed to get someone who um, was on these shores and actually understood the leagues that they're in. Because obviously he did a fantastic job at Cheltenham last season. He's, he's taken Cheltenham from bottom half League 2 to mid-table in League 1. And on the budget that he's had, I think that's a really impressive thing to do. So I think he's one of the best young managers playing their trade in the Football League right now. And now he's been given more resources. Obviously not millions and millions, but he's been given more resources at Barnsley. Um so, yeah, I think it's a really good appointment. As I say, he is very direct and that may not be to everyone's taste, but at the same time, it seems like that's what the Barnsley hierarchy quite like because obviously it worked very well with that Valley and Ishmael, didn't it? So they're going back mm-hmm. to that. Let's see how he does. I think it's a really good appointment and one of the best decisions Barnsley have made for the past year. Unfortunately, it was a bit too late for them, really, wasn't it? Justin, let's have a quick break. After that, we'll talk about some of the boardroom stuff that's been happening at a couple of clubs and then we'll finish off with some of the transfers from the past few days in the championship to the second tier podcast so we'll talk about some of the boardroom stuff that's happening at Derby and uh, Birmingham City as well I'm just waiting for people to say Derby odds in the second tier anymore Um, but yeah we'll start off by talking about Birmingham Justin because we've known about their takeover and the potential rumblings that have been going on for some time but it seems to have come at somewhat of a crossroads because a Birmingham MP has called on the government to block a planned takeover of Birmingham by former Watford owner Lawrence Bassini. Bassini is said to be confident of doing a deal. In a statement made to the Hong Kong Stock Exchange, Birmingham Sports Holdings confirmed its largest shareholder has sold more than a 21.64% stake in the club. The statement, however, did not say who the sale was to. Bassini was previously serving a three-year ban from football and has been declared bankrupt twice. Surely, Justin, if the fit and proper test is, you know, an active thing that actually works, Lawrence Bassini won't pass that test. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I can't disagree or add anything else. Surely, if it's effective and robust, Lawrence Bassini should be nowhere near any football club ever. That is competing in a professional or semi-professional basis um i don't understand i don't understand um i mean obviously he's not got to that point yet so we can't we're just speculating um but for me i just don't understand why you'd use lawrence bassini as your front man because from what i've read it's david sullivan's money the previous owner for birmingham city um and yeah you're using this absolute muppet to be very polite <laughs> as as your front man, it's weird, it's bizarre. But yeah, as you say, if if the um, if the EFL's tests work, he doesn't get anywhere near Birmingham City. 
Yeah, there's so many rumblings about who's going to actually be involved in this takeover. There's been talk about Karen Brady coming back to the club. But Bassini, for me, if anyone is banned from football for any amount of time, then they shouldn't be given really any role in mm-hmm. football. I think really a three-year ban should be what the headline says, but you shouldn't really be allowed to come back into football at all just because mm-hmm. you're clearly not fit and proper as the test says. Um, And for anyone who's been declared bankrupt twice as well, just really doesn't make sense to me. So I fear for Birmingham City at the moment. I mean, I was fearing for them anyway with the owners that they had before, but this doesn't seem much better, really. In fact, it seems worse, which is... I I can't believe I'm saying that, Justin. Yeah, I mean, what what do you choose? (laughs) I'm trying to compare it to something. It's like, do you choose drinking this molten lava, this mug of molten lava, or this, this horrible cup of broken glass what would you rather have you know what's probably probably the broken glass in that actual context justin but um, who is the broken glass in this situation exactly Uh, i'm I'm trying trying to come up with something on the spot it's difficult but both both aspects are shit it's terrible it's not great it's not ideal and i i really do fear for birmingham city's future obviously if david sullivan can find the right person to front the um front his uh investment then fine, that that will work for everybody. But Lawrence Bassini, absolutely not. No way. Please stay away from football. Well, the other talk has been that the former Barcelona striker Maxi Lopez, who's part of another consortium, he's another party who um, has been involved in talks and what have you. Um, and the only thing I know about that takeover is that they were apparently looking to get in Diego Costa, um, which on the front of it sounds very fun from our perspective, but also has a bit of eccentricity about it, doesn't it? And um, that's I don't think Birmingham need that right now. They just need stable, don't they? They just need, you know, a boring takeover of someone yeah. who's just going to fund the club and just you know, let them be as they are for the next few years, not put them in turmoil because they've had so much turmoil over the past few years. And this just seems to be, you know, the tip of the iceberg, really, if Bassini does get in charge. But, yeah, we'll just have to wait and see on that front. Shall we go from one crackpot case to another crackpot case? Chris Kirchner has now officially withdrawn his offer to buy Derby. The BBC says he took the decision due to the difficulty he's had transferring funds to the UK. But, headline here is Justin what a complete waste of time this has been yep um I think I said in April that um after his um mentioning obviously his Preston attempts that he was a complete waste of time I was giving him the benefit of doubt based on everything that was being said but what what has transpired since has been absolutely ludicrous and the fact that both Quantuma and the EFL have just been sat on the hands. There's actually quite a damning article on the EFL and Quantuma's role in allowing Chris Kirchner the amount of time that he had. Um, but yeah, just as I say, the amount of time that he's had is has damaged the club irreparably. Um, they're, they're now losing players that could have signed contracts. Pre-season starts in a week. No, take, no takeover is going to get done in a week. So the club is more likely to start with I'd say the bare minimum, but what is the bare minimum of a football club? It's a functioning squad. They don't even have the bare minimum. Um, so yeah, and that's 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 down to yeah the Quantuma, who we've said are useless. Um, and people have disagreed with us, but they are useless. They've shown that they're useless, and and obviously the EFL who have been um, very pedestrian in this in this process until well, now. I, 
it's been such precious time wasted, hasn't it, from a Derby perspective? Because the funds aren't lasting forever. And this deal, which became very apparent that it wasn't going to happen for quite some time, has just been dragged out for so long. And here we are in this situation now where Derby, it's just a couple of weeks until pre-season starts again and only five players are mm-hmm. going to be turning up for it at the time of recording, yeah. which is just absolutely mental. So you've got players who have indicated they're willing to sign on for next season, but just can't because there is no one to sign up to at the moment. So the fact that it's been allowed to drag on for this long is just bizarre when there have been clearly other parties who have been more sensible options. is just mental. But the FL has said it would become more closely involved in the sale of Derby in order to secure the future their future in the league, sorry. The conditions suspending the club's expulsion from the league, which were imposed when they went into administration, have been changed. The AFL now wants to be informed of all discussions between the administrators and potential bidders, which, from my perspective, I think at least fair play to the AFL for doing something about it. Well, as it stands, there are at least three parties interested in buying Derby, potentially even more. One is former owner Andy Appleby. And another is ex-Wolves owner Steve Morgan. The Daily Mirror has been reporting that they may consider joining together to form a joint bid, which would be certainly interesting. Another another contender is, of course, Mike Ashley, who, according to The Telegraph, has launched a high court claim against the administrators. Ashley alleges the administrators made representations that he knew were false during potential takeover talks. Legal documents claim that Ashley's group were told they were named as preferred bidders in January, and it claims they failed to inform the EFL, the administrators that is, despite insisting... He would. Um, It's also alleged that they did this with the intention that Ashley would continue to engage in the bidding process, incurring costs in doing so, and submit a formal bid, which would drive up the price for other bidders. Um, So that's all getting very messy in itself. (laughs) But just in ignoring the legal claim for a sec, um, who do you think is more most likely to take over Derby County Football Club as things stand? Probably Andy Appleby because he's got no beef with Contuma, to be really blunt. That, that, that would be the, the obvious candidate from their perspective. And I think, um, again, if, if if reports are correct, he's put in a £50 million bid, um, which includes a stadium. And obviously, if he's teaming up with Steve Morgan, Steve Morgan's got a lot of experience um, and a lot of money. That also helps. Um, so I, I would say Andy Appleby's probably front of the queue at the moment. But... I think what Mike Ashley is doing is is probably quite important as well. Um, he's he's strong arming uh, Quantuma, which is uh, a, a good move, and he's he's now got a bit of leverage. If you um, if you're fans of um, Suits on on Netflix, and you'll understand how important that is. Okay, um, it's interesting because the national media have been claiming that Mike Ashley is the favourite, whereas the local media have been saying that Andy Appleby is the favourite. So who is actually going to be the favourite to take over? I'm not really too sure. But you can't help but think Mike Ashley suing the administrators who he's trying to do a deal with isn't going to help his cause to be the owner of Derby County next. Leverage, who knows? Maybe it is just leverage, but I don't want to get my feet muddy in that mess (laughs) that's going on right now. Um, But something needs to be sorted out as soon as possible, doesn't it? And this whole debacle that's been happening with Kirchner has meant that there's very precious time Mm. left to actually, you know, sort out a sensible deal. Um, So here we are in this situation now where Derby just need any sort of funds, but they 
can't get any sort of funds because no one's there to actually fund it. So, yeah, that's why this whole thing has just become so much more of a mess very, very quickly. But whoever takes over, um, hopefully it is going to be soon. And finally, just to we'll talk about transfers and I feel like it's a massive change of gear from a club <laughs> potentially going out of business to, oh, look at these players. Um, but we'll start off with QPR. They've signed centre-back Jake Clark Salter after he was released by Chelsea. He's seemingly been on loan in the Championship for the last decade. But I think a good signing, Justin. Yep, left-footed centre-half, really important now. Yohan Barbe's departing. Um, he's he's comfortable with the ball at his feet um, and he's in his... Um, I mean, got, got a fair bit of experience now at championship level, which is also really beneficial. And he's coming from um, a football club that, under with, with Chelsea, saw a lot in him because he contracted to them until he was 24, 25. Um, so, yeah, I think this is a really good signing. A free transfer as well. The club has got a very good asset on its hands. And I think under Michael Beal, it'll be interesting to see how he develops. But as I say, really comfortable with the ball at his feet, left footed, brings a lot of balance to, um, to QPR's back line. Yeah, he's been a solid player in the championship for years hasn't he because he, he seems he's played just about every game for whoever he's been on loan at for however long he's been in the championship now mm. but at the same time we've been doing this for three years now Justin and I don't think we ever really mentioned Jake Clark Salter no. so he's kind of in that netherworld of good enough player to play week in week out at championship level but not good enough to get you know an amazing amount of plaudits but it is worth remembering he is only 24 and that means he's still got plenty of room to grow as a player. And as, yeah. as you quite rightly say, he's been at Chelsea, well, he's contracted until he was 24 at Chelsea. So they must have saw some sort of a future in him. Um, so, yeah, it's a good signing for QPR. Um, I think he'll fit in quite nicely into that back line with Dickey and Dunn. So, yeah, I, I, I think it's a good enough signing. Um Cardiff have had a busy few days. They've signed Millwall's Marlon Romeo, Derby goalkeeper Ryan Allsop on permanent deals, and then also Leicester right-back Vontae Daly-Campbell on loan. Uh, Justin, anything you want to add there? Yeah, I, I think Cardiff are having a really good transfer window. Um, I think the only concerns I have is, is it too much too quickly? Um, there's a lot of players that need to bed in. Um, but Cardiff were in that position where they needed to recruit a lot of players. Um, and it's... It, <clears throat> Feels like defensively they're sorted now. I, I, I didn't. I was quite surprised to see Ryan also coming because obviously Dylan Phillips is there, Jack Annick's there as well. So that's that's three top goalkeepers. You'd expect Dylan Phillips to move on now, um, because I say three really good goalkeepers is quite a hefty department. It's just about getting some attacking options in, getting some added creativity to support the youngsters, and getting a couple of goal scorers in as well. Which is pro- they're probably the three three most difficult areas to to add. But for me, I think Cardiff. Have had a really good transfer window so far, and that needs to be that needs to be shouted about. I, I don't think they have had a really good transfer window, Justin. Um, I, I think it's certainly been a very busy start, hasn't it? Because seven signings before the end of Pre-season. June is very, very extreme. Um, but I think these signings are great for fleshing out the squad because one of the concerns I had was the amount of depth in the Cardiff squad, and that doesn't seem to be as much of an issue now because they have got so many players in different positions but when you look at the actual quality of this squad I think they are certainly lacking a lot of quality there aren't many players in this Cardiff squad who I'd be looking at as another championship club and being particularly jealous about really um, I thought Allsop was very good at Derby last season so I think that's a good signing but Marlon Romeo 
never really convinced me at championship level. Um, Millwall fans certainly weren't too bothered about him going, particularly considering he was on loan in League One with Portsmouth last season. Daley Campbell I don't know too much about, but he only made a handful of appearances for Dundee last season. So I'm very worried about the amount of quality that's actually in this Cardiff squad. And I think it's interesting that they've made seven signings already, but they still need more. Um, obviously, if they get in a certain Welshman who's been playing over in Spain for the past few years, that will all change very quickly. But I know if Cardiff went into next season with the squad they've currently got, I'd be a bit concerned. Um, let's go to Stoke, Justin. They've signed Aidan Flint after he left Cardiff on a free. Uh, we were just talking about him in our free agents episode on Thursday. Uh, what do you think of that move? I'm not. I'm not particularly impressed by it. I think he's a good squad player, but for me, I'd have liked to have seen someone a bit more progressive with the ball at his feet than Aidan Flint. They've got Phil Jagielka and Aidan Flint as two centre-halves now, and obviously Ben Wilmot as well, who is a good ball-playing defender, but just one out of the three is a bit... It's just a bit strange. Don't really know where they're, where they're going, and obviously that, that that's a very slow black back line, that is, isn't it? Jagielka and Aidan Flint, it'd be good to see them in a foot race. Um, yeah, I'm I'm not particularly impressed by it, but it's um, it's a good squad option. It, yeah, that's it really. It's just that. Yeah, it, it is interesting that you mentioned about playing with the ball at his feet because we were calling them sexy Stoke, weren't we, uh, in the <laughs> early stages of last season? And Aidan Flint certainly isn't the first player you think of when you think of sexy ball playing centre backs, really, is he? Um, but he's playing in a back three, which is what's certainly best for Aidan Flint. Um, but you're absolutely right that a back three of Flint, Jagielka and Suter, for example, isn't going to be the quickest, but they'll be bloody good in the air. Um, they've also got Ben Wormott too. So they've certainly got loads of centre-back options, which I think is important for a, a club like Stoke. And they potentially got Josh Laron coming in too, um, mm. who can also play at centre-back. So they've got plenty of options there. They've got the role depth in that area. So that's good. Um, but it's not a signing that is particularly making me think instantly, you know, top six ready. Yeah, exactly. um, there's a lot to be done at Stoke still, but I think it's a good enough signing. And finally, Justin Redding. They've extended the contracts of Andy Yeardham and Tom Holmes. The former's deal was set to expire this summer, so nailing him down is going to be very good news for Redding, Justin, considering we've both been a bit worried about them heading into next season, haven't we? Yeah, it's massive. It's massive because they're struggling to recruit. They lost Jack Tucker. Um, I know they were in for Jack Tucker, who was at Gillingham last season. He's chosen to go to MK Don, so they've lost out to a League One side for for a defender, um, which goes to show how bad their plight is in terms of recruitment, in, in terms of their finances as well. Um, uh, so, yeah, to, to, to renew Andy Yeardum and Tom Holmes' deals is, is absolutely massive, and they're two really good defenders at Championship level as well. That can't go unnoticed. Um, they are very, very good. Um, Andy Hiddum, I think, was one of the most consistent right-backs in the league last season, statistically. Probably quite unfortunate that Jed Spence and Isaiah Jones were having the season of their lives um, in terms of um, putting together a team of the season. But yeah, really good players, and that's that's huge news for, for Reading. Yeah, certainly a bit of a bright spark when there haven't been many bright sparks for them in the past couple of months. Um, but there we go. We'll talk about... There's been plenty of rumoured deals and deals that look mm. close to happening, Justin. But we'll talk more about them when they are actually confirmed instead of just filling the rest of the podcast with transfer speculation. Um, 
Scott Twine to Hull is one which has certainly caught my eye mm-hmm. over the past week. Um, if that put, if that comes off, then my oh my, then Hull are certainly meaning business next season. But we'll talk about that when it, it if it actually happens and other deals, etc. Uh, but there we go, ladies and gentlemen. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. This has been a news roundup of everything that's been going on for the past week. And boy, there's been a lot going on from the past week. Uh, so we'll be back again next Sunday to give you more of a news update. But we'll be back again on Thursday to give you another episode don't know what that's going to be. Probably a Q&A. Do you want to do a Q&A, Justin? Yeah, maybe. I am on holiday. You've given me a lot to do here. I know, but we've got to give the listeners something, haven't we? I suppose. Um, I suppose. So we'll have something in midweek, ladies and gentlemen. So we'll look forward to speaking to you then in a few days' time. But this has been the Second Tier Podcast. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. And as always, thank you for listening. <laughs>